This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. Welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. We're hearing more and more about medical weight loss, so I decided to do an episode on how to choose the right weight loss program. I have with me Dr. Craig Premack. Dr. Premack is internal medicine, pediatrics, and obesity medicine trained. He has been practicing obesity medicine full-time for the last 15 years. He is also the immediate past president of the Obesity Medicine Association, which I am also a member of. He has also written a book called Chasing Diets, which is available on Amazon. Hi, Dr. Primack. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. Hi. So when I talk about weight loss clinics, I almost cringe at this whole phrase, weight loss clinics, because it's so much more, right? It's, I think it should probably be called like metabolic health management or something like that. What do you think? So number one, I completely agree with you. The term medical weight loss has, doesn't have a true definition behind it, and a lot of things can be used. What we find is when you say medical weight loss, though, people understand what you're talking about. If you start saying metabolic clinics or such, I think that you get less and less people know exactly what you do. So we still say medical weight loss, but I think at some point we need to put a definition on what does that mean? What should you be getting? And hopefully we'll talk about a little of that today. I think so too. Yeah. That's why I wanted to do this episode because there is so much of information out there and there are so many people trying to do you know, different things and saying, take my product, take this, and this is like the miracle drug. And this is the miracle way of losing weight. This is the perfect way. And really, science is very different. So let's just start by, you know, talking about what an obesity specialist really is, because I think a lot of people do not understand that that's a separate specialty that has kind of come into being, even though it's fairly young, but it still exists. So you're absolutely right. The current certification comes through something called the American Board of Obesity Medicine. And that board was established in 2012. So really, we're not even 10 years into this specialty. We now have over, I think it's over 5,300 diplomates from the society or from the group. And what you do is you need a primary board specialty, like I'm internal medicine and pediatrics. I think you're internal medicine. I am internal medicine, yes. Yes. And so that's, you have your primary and then you do some continual education. So CME hours, and then you have to take a board exam. And the board exam is about four hours in front of a computer and answering about 200 and some questions. And it goes into a lot of depth about the metabolic changes that happen, about the hormones that control appetite, the way that we talk to our patients differently when they have obesity than if they have other diseases and so forth. And then not only does the certification become a necessity, but practice and doing something in your clinic day after day and learning how to talk to people who have this disease of obesity that is sensitive. Unfortunately, for years, they've been told to just eat less and move more and that has not worked for them, they've been blamed for their disease. Can you imagine if they had cancer and we blame them for their general cancer? Or if they have diabetes, we don't blame people for their diabetes. We say you have a disease and we're going to treat it. But people still, it's 2021 and we're still, we know this is a medical disease and they're still being blamed for it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that it's still a medical disease, but you know, I would just want to 
impressed upon the fact that there are a lot of even physicians who do not really realize that this is actually a medical disease. I, for example, you know, when I was training in India, and I keep saying this and keep hammering this point, that when I was in India, even though I was trained in internal medicine, I did not really recognize obesity as a disease. I still thought that, you know, it was just lifestyle changes and that would be it. And the rest of it is all bogus. But really, when I did, read about obesity medicine, when I, you know, got board certified, I learned so much more. And even when I talked to, you know, endocrinologists, they mentioned that studying for obesity medicine is completely different from the rest of endocrinology itself. And that is what's so interesting, right? Because even though we have so many years of training, for some reason, even though this is a pandemic, I call it a pandemic, we do not really learn a lot about this in our med school or in our residencies for that matter, right? So it is still a very young field. You know, it's just about 25 years ago, give or take a few years, that we learned that our fat is not just a storage organ. We used to say we have these fat cells, we maybe have a billion of them, and it's like you have a gas tank and you eat food. And if you eat an abundance of food, your extra energy went into your gas tank. And if you ate underneath your calorie burn, you took from your gas tank. That's like such a small part of it. So 20, 25 years ago is when we learned about leptin. Leptin is the number one hormone that talks about fullness, and it comes from the fat stores itself. I usually say there's about five sensors in the body, the fat being one of them, the pancreas and the insulin system is another, the GI tract is another, the stomach itself is another, and all these feed in on the brain to tell your body, are you hungry or are you full? Should I eat or should I not eat? What is my energy stores? And this was over thousands and thousands of years for survival. And when food was scarce, these were all survival benefits. If you had a little more potentially obesity or the genes for obesity, or if you had the genes for diabetes, it helped you put a little weight on when food was scarce versus the neighbor who didn't have these. And now in the world that you and I live in, and most of the people who will be listening to this, the most hunting we do is the grocery store aisle <laughs> or you know, on our phone and we're looking, you know, what Uber Eats thing can we order? We don't even get off the couch to do those things anymore sometimes. And sometimes some people do more. And it's just become too easy to eat an abundance of food. That's right. I think you raise a very valid point that what may have worked for us some centuries ago, millions of years ago, doesn't work for us anymore. But, you know, it takes time for the body to evolve. So does one always need an obesity specialist to kind of take care of their obesity? Or can their physician just take care of the obesity part of it? So I think that's a great question. And it's one I get asked all the time. And I'm going to give you a long-winded answer to that question, because I think the world is getting to the point where now about two out of three people or even 75% in some communities have either overweight or obesity. And so if you just talk about there's a little over 5,000 people who are or board certified, physicians who are or certified in this, we can't treat 75% of our population. So I think over the next, we'll say five to 10 years, it has to become a primary care problem or even specialists that aren't directly in obesity medicine. As you mentioned, endocrinology would be great. I think GI would be great. Even mental yeah. health and psychiatry would be a piece of this that isn't attached because there's just too many people and there's so many different levels to this. And so I think the first question is, we can't just do it that way. But I think that we're not even at that point. We're still at the point where people don't understand that there are physicians that treat weight. Everyone knows if you have a heart problem, you see a cardiologist. You have cancer and you're going to see your oncologist. You need surgery. Your knee needs a replacement. You're going to see an orthopedist. We understand that. That's normal. But they don't yet know that if I've tried dieting on my own, I've tried to lose weight. And the studies will show us 
over the past two years, at least 2.2 times someone has tried to lose weight and been unsuccessful. And so when you've been unsuccessful in weight, that's when you consider using someone who is obesity medicine certified. And then there's also a lot of people who are, I'll call it, they are nurse practitioners, they're physician's assistants who have been trained in obesity medicine, but don't have that certification. And so those are people who also have dedicated their careers to treating this disease. And so any of the people or people who have just had a lot of experience with it, you know, before 2012, there was a different board called the ABBM board. And that was around for a lot of years. But if we only have 5,000, that was probably even less than 1,000 people. <laughs> and so that didn't get much traction. Now we're getting upwards. When we have 5,000. The last test was just done about three or four weeks ago for the next level. I don't know, but I'm going to guess there's going to be at least 1,000 to 2,000 more clinicians who will be certified this year. Wow. And then pretty soon, when we have you know over about 10,000, if you think of endocrinologists in this country, I think we have less than 10,000 board-certified endocrinologists. And so wow. we will surpass that because if you use diabetes as our number one thing that would see an endocrinologist, it's about 10% of our population. We're, we're now you and I are talking about really what's affecting 35% of people with obesity and about 75% of our population if you include overweight. Yeah, I think you raised a very valid point, right? You mentioned that, you know, if you have a heart problem, you go to a cardiologist, you have diabetes, you go to an endocrinologist. But I think if somebody has obesity, they go to their next door neighbor <laughs> to ask for advice, right? And I think that has to be the shift that has to occur in the mind that, you know, there are specialists who are trained in this. And I can tell you, I mean, the exam that I took four hours, it wasn't an easy exam. It was a very thorough exam based on the pathophysiology and the clinical management. So it wasn't like you sit down and you just talk about eating less and moving more and that's the end of it. There's so much more depth and there are so many more nuances to it. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I started this podcast, kind of talk about these nuances. Now, let's talk about these various weight loss programs that are available and then the medical weight loss management clinics or practices that exist. What really sets them apart? So number one, that they specialize in weight loss. We know when you look at diet specifically, there is no one diet that works for everybody. There are definitely several that work better, I should say. And there's, we know there's several that don't work, although they're used commonly. So I think the first thing is find someone who's experienced, and then you want to find a comprehensive clinic. And there's four pieces that make up a comprehensive clinic. Some kind of nutrition. So whether that's a, what we call a, a strict diet there's some kind of nutrition counseling in that. Number two, there's behavior changes. So it's learning how to do some of these things long-term. It's strategizing. We just came out of Thanksgiving weekend. So for three weeks, what did I talk about? I talked about how do you get through a four-day eating holiday well. And we're going to go into the December holidays. Most people have whatever celebrate, you have some holiday in December. And so we'll have more eating opportunities then. The third piece is some kind of movement or activity. And the fourth are medications or anti-obesity medications, medicines that have been approved for specifically for weight loss or along with diet and exercise. When you put those four pieces together, and we talk about this in the book that we're going to talk about that I wrote, we talk about the four yes. legs of the chair. You know, if you have any one leg of the chair, so it's January coming up next month or a little over a month, and people say, it's January, I'm going to go to the gym. That's one leg of the chair. And unfortunately, after two or three months, with one leg you're balancing on, your chair falls over. When you add diet to your exercise, your chair is a little bit more sturdy. And when you put all four pieces or all four legs of your chair on the ground, you have a very sturdy foundation to stand on 
to counteract this disease. I think you said it very right because you know a lot of these programs that I see, and not to say that they don't work, I'm sure they work for some people and that's why they're still around, but I think having a more comprehensive approach to find uh, what we can tailor for somebody is more important than having just like one size fits all for everybody. The other thing that I want to ask you is that when people start looking for, say, a weight loss clinic or a medical weight loss clinic or a metabolic clinic, like I call it, what are the things that they should look for? Because, of course, there are more number of people who are specializing in this. Maybe they go to their primary care physician, they hear something else. So what should they know, really, before they actually choose a clinic? So I think that's great. You have to ask yourself a lot of questions before you begin a program because, you know, the average person has been on at least, I'm going to say, 10 diets. And so they know what doesn't work for them. And so we have to find out what does work for you. And so if you're seeing a physician, you want to, number one, know that they're going to do some blood work. You want to know that they're going to sit down and do what we typically in medicine call a history and physical. So you're going to learn, you're going to sit down somewhere between a half an hour and an hour, or some people even go an hour and a half. And you're going to get the history of what someone has been through up until this time. So part of that is their eating history, you know, their dieting history. What does their life look like? Meaning, what are they eating? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And there's potentially three snack times in there. How do they sleep? Do they exercise? Do they not like exercise? And then what is their baseline health state? Do they already have diabetes and heart disease? Do they never have to go to the doctor at all? For, and they don't take a medicine. Some people have a list of medicines that are 15 long. And they've been in the hospital three times this year. And other people I've never been, but I have dad, you know, has this or that. So you want to learn about the family history and such. And so we take that whole history. We do a physical exam. Now, because I do all obesity, we do a rather brief physical exam. It's not like if you're in primary care and you're looking for all the other things. And then we sit down and we make a treatment plan. And we have a conversation about these are the potential options. And I think they should lay out what we call a shared decision-making plan. And so you sit down with your provider and they say, these are the possible diets. How does that work for you? Maybe we're going to use medicines in the beginning. Maybe we'll bring them in if we need them later. What are we going to do for some activity? Now, that being said, I have people that run marathons who still have obesity. I have people who don't you know, do much more than 300 steps a day who have a walker and they basically go to their bathroom and their chair. And we have to find something that works for everybody. How much sleep they're getting. I'm Sleep is one of my big passions because we know when we're not sleeping that our metabolism is slower and our hunger is higher. And then we set up a treatment plan. So put all those pieces together, make a plan, and they should have reasons for follow-up and how often. I tend to see my patients very, very frequently in the first five months. We actually see them the first week and the second week, and then I see them every other week throughout a a five-month plan. But that is not always standard. I think as long as you're seeing in the beginning or you're being seen somewhere between every week to every six or eight weeks, the first couple times, again, depending how many medical problems. If you're on insulin with diabetes, if you have three blood pressure medicines, you should be seen much more commonly than if you're not taking any other medicines. If you have 100 pounds to lose, you probably need to be seen more commonly than someone who has 25 pounds to lose or even 15 pounds to lose. And so we do treat people that, you know, I treat people that need 15 pounds of weight loss and I'll say more gentle and less aggressive in their plans. And I have people that need 200 pounds of weight loss and we get much more into the weeds meaning what they should be doing day to day, minute to minute, and so forth. 
Yeah, I think one of the valid points that you raised was, you know, the detailed history that we take. And I think a lot of times what happens is in the primary care clinic, there are so many other problems that are being dealt with. A lot of times a detailed history on obesity medicine, at least that's what I feel, would not be possible in a, say, a 15-minute visit or a 30-minute visit for that matter, because there are so many other problems that somebody is dealing with. And I think that really highlights the point that even if, you know, a primary care physician wants to kind of tackle this problem, tackle this disease, it may not be actually feasible given the limitation of the time that we have. And that's why I think... Having a specialty in itself as obesity medicine takes a very important role because you can have somebody who can spend that amount of time talking about all of this. And not only that, because the management itself is not just giving a medication and that's the end of it. There's so much more to it. So, you know, taking all of that into account and then talking about everything takes time. And I think that's why having a dedicated practice kind of makes more sense than kind of try, trying to squeeze that in into the primary care setting that is already kind of, you know, jam packed with things. I've written a few articles that have been published in guidelines recently on having primary care doctors talk to their patients. And I think as you put it, someone's coming in, they may be coming in once every two years and now they're in for a sinus infection. And the primary care wants to do all of their obesity management in that same visit. Number one, that is often offensive to patients. They're here for their sinus infection. They don't want to talk about their weight, which is the reason they hadn't unfortunately come in in the last two years or so. And so I think just planting the seed is what I like to do. If they're there for, let's say, sinus infection, you deal with their sinus infection and say, is now a good time to talk about your weight? And they may say yes or no. And if they say no, say, in the future, please come back when you're ready and we can talk about it. And then you actually don't say anything more. You've planted the seed. And sometime in the future, they're going to come back, hopefully, if everything's right. And it might be six or 12 months. And they say, Dr. Premack, to me, they, you know, you mentioned something about my weight last time I was in. What did you have in mind? And that works really well. I think people ask, how do they talk to their spouses and their kids all the time? And I think that's the same thing. If you tell them you need to do this and this and this, I think of teenagers. I have three teenagers, <laughs> or 20 down to 13. And if I tell them to do something, you know, they're always like, this is why I can't do it. And I just say, why? You know, use weight as an example. Why should you lose weight? Then they give me all the reasons why they should lose weight or why they should, with my kids, is why they should clean their room or go to bed on time or, or stay off their social media, you know? And so I don't think we can tell people how to do things. We have to, to bring it out of them. And, and, you know, as physicians, we learn a technique called motivational interviewing. Right. It's been developed years ago. It's kind of based on what people who don't have medical degrees used to call it kind of reverse psychology a little bit. But instead of telling someone what to do, you ask them about what they should be doing and you bring to light the things they should be doing and you let the bad habits kind of fall away. And there's a lot of practice to that and a, and a lot of thing, but it, it works really, really well. And I think everyone in medicine should be using that, whether it's weight counseling or blood pressure counseling or getting vaccinated nowadays counseling. <laughs> That's true. That's right. <laughs> no, I think it works uh, works very well if you you know you just change the way you ask questions and the way you talk to patients. I think it makes a profound difference in the way you're heard as a provider, as a physician by the patients. Let's talk about you know when patients come to say your clinic or yeah. say they come to any other medical weight loss practice. What should they really expect? Like somebody walks in. A lot of times people don't know what they're going to be walking into. So just walk us through what really should they be expecting there. 
So in my clinic, we've been doing nothing but weight management for 15 years. I started part-time for about two years before that. So we have developed our systems along the way using those four pieces, I think, is guidelines and learning what works for people and what doesn't. So when someone is interested in my clinic, they call up the clinic and I have a coordinator that prior to the pandemic would actually sit down with them and explain the program. Now, since the pandemic started, we are seeing people less and less in person. So they, we now do this over the phone. And they basically explain what my program is. What I've learned over time, we do use a lot of meal replacements in my clinic. And for a lot of reasons, I can tell you, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and a lot of people say, I don't like to cook anymore. And so meal replacements help that. They say, I do like to cook, but I don't know what to cook. And so for a while, we're kind of just taking the stress of cooking and preparing food away from them. We're breaking bad habits. They say, I eat this and I eat this and I eat this. And we take them off a little bit. And so one of the things is we do allow them to choose, well, they can choose either what we call a full meal replacement, beyond meal replacements only. We can do a partial meal replacement, which is some food and some meal replacements. And the third is some people don't do any meal replacements at all, what we would call standard you know, diets that other people would do. So once they do that, and then we see them quite frequently, I know from experience that the average person in my clinic is going to lose, a woman in the first month will lose an average of 12 pounds. A man can lose somewhere between 12 and 18 pounds the first month and somewhere between 10 and 12 pounds the second month and third month. And so we see about 32 pounds weight loss in the first three months and we're monitoring them the whole way. So we do blood work on a frequent basis. I am seeing them regularly, checking their blood pressure, seeing how if they're having any side effects or symptoms and so forth and working through the stresses of living in a world where food is abundant. And so we're constantly strategizing things are good and things that are bad. If they're going out of town for a couple of days, how do we do that? Then I bring them back to regular food. So that's done as a tool for a while. We use a, a product can be done as what we call a full meal replacement. You can be just on that in water for months if you wanted to, but most people do it for, I don't know, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And then we put it, if they started on a full, we'll go to a partial. So they'll put a dinner meal in and we work all the way back. Sometimes they'll use two or three protein-based meal replacements for a long period of time, other times not. And I think knowing with experience comes, you know, if they're on blood pressure medicine, when to stop the blood pressure medicine, because with weight loss, number one, best thing to get you off blood pressure medicine is, is weight loss. If you're on insulin or other diabetes medicines, should I stop them? When do I stop them? Do I just decrease them? I guess that the other part we didn't even talk about is if they're on medicines that cause weight gain, because there's a lot of great medicines for one reason or another, whether it's an antidepressant, an antipsychotic, or something that are causing weight gain. And so I will call their primary physician or their specialist and say, hey, I know they're on this medicine. There's a couple of other options that might be good. Do you think it's also okay if we switch them over or will you switch them for me? And I think that's a big piece of what we do also. Then just knowing what the future looks like. And so as someone loses weight, and then there's the second phase, which is then keeping it off. We do a program that we call active maintenance. And so although it's not as strict such dieting in the active maintenance part, you are weighing yourself on a regular basis. And if you're in a five-pound zone, you're not making many changes. But if you get outside that five-pound zone, we're going to do a lot of changes and go back to what was working for you for a while. We've learned over time that the drive to put weight back on doesn't go away easily. And so that's why we use all these four components to counteract those hormonal signals. 
You know, that's very right. I think that highlights the fact that, you know, obesity is such a complex disease and there are so many factors and facets to it that need to be managed. And you rightly mentioned that there's, for example, some medications that may need to be just changed. And sometimes that may do the trick. Sometimes that may not do the trick. And the other part of it is that we didn't touch upon is the fact that some people may require bariatric surgery or metabolic yeah, surgery, as we absolutely. call them. With the advent of some of these endoscopic techniques, which are still not you know, completely covered by insurance, but I think this is the next big thing that's coming up is this and some of the newer medications that are coming up you know, for the management of obesity. And one thing I think that also exists or should exist in a metabolic health clinics should be the management of the mindset or the behavioral changes that you need to make in order to you know, sustain that or maintain that weight loss that you've already achieved. So I 100% agree with you. One of the concepts, and we do this from day number one, we have a little survey that we give our patients, and it looks at five different eating patterns that people tend to have. Three of them are what we call emotional eating. So that is stress eating. Everyone understands what stress eating is. One is called avoidant eating, where we eat to avoid having to deal with something. If you have a, a work project you don't want to start or a spouse that you don't want to have a conversation with, we may eat to stall <laughs> that. And the third one is either boredom or energy eating. And I can tell you, I have a tendency towards that if I don't watch it. At the end of the day, you're, you're working and you're active. And then the evening comes and it's been a long day and you're sitting down in the couch, maybe watching TV, unfortunately, and your energy starts to wane because it's just quiet now. And you use some carbs that pick up that energy. Just to round out that conversation, the last two are mindless eating and then someone who is a foodie who gets pleasure out of fat, sugar, and salt, whether you, whether you know it or not. And if you take all five of those, we've developed a class series taught by behavioral-based psychologists and dietitians that teach series of these classes that is now done on Zoom. And then we, if people can't make the Zoom meetings, we actually have them pre-recorded also. And we've been doing that for about 15 years. A little less in person than we used to, obviously, but with Zoom, it's become a really easy way to get that behavior changes out. And we strategize. We have special classes when it comes to the holiday eating. We used to take people on a grocery store tour where you walk around the grocery store and learn how to read food labels and, and things like that. And we can now just all do that with pre-recorded videos, which is great. Right. And you know, what's the data on um, patients in the office and the frequency of the, the visits? So I think the data, if you take all of it in general, the more frequent your visits, the better people do. And so there's been clinics, you know, once a month, we actually do weekly. So we, you see your medical provider. I do have nurse practitioners as well as physicians in my practice. We have five full-time providers in four locations. And uh, we, they're seen in the clinic on a weekly basis. You see your medical provider one time, and then the next time you see a highly trained medical assistant. Our medical assistants probably take six to nine months to get up to speed, to be good at talking and counseling people about what they're doing. And it, it's a little bit of a troubleshooting in between. And we do that for five months for most people. And then we either go down, we keep it weekly, but we call it kind of phase two, which is an active maintenance program, or we switch down to maybe when we give them the choice, they can come in whenever they need to, or we have kind of one where you're just coming in twice a month, once with me and once with my highly trained medical assistants. And some people do that for years because they're saying, I'm now doing well. I want you to you know, help me troubleshoot all these things that go on. But I think it's across the board. When you look at other clinics, they're going to do it in a lot of different ways. I think if someone were to say, I'm going to see you today and, and I'm going to see you again in three months and maybe I'll see you in six months after that, I would be very wary of that clinic. 
But if they give you a pattern that seems to make sense for you and, and for what they're doing, but also know that they're available in between visits. If you have a phone call or a question, whether it's through email, text or, or such, you can contact the clinic and you will get a phone call back. I think is important to know for future. Right. Yeah, I think so too. I think more frequent follow-up is, especially in the beginning when you're new to all of this, you're making these big changes. I think the more frequent follow-up kind of creates an accountability mm-hmm. and keeps the patients on the toes and make sure that they're following through with the plan that they decided upon. Um, but I'm sure that, you know, when people come to you or they've been referred to you by somebody, they must have some questions and they're skeptical about weight loss. What do they ask you? There's a million questions. I think the number one question is why use a meal replacement? Why can't I just eat regular food? And I think the easy answer for that is you have been eating regular food for your whole life until now, and it has not so far worked for you. Some people say, let's shake it up or let's use a different technique than you've done before. I think that's number one. Number two, say, why do I need to use a medicine? And I think that there was a study that came out in 2011 in the New England Journal of Medicine that is my favorite study that I quote all the time. And the basic premise is people lost weight through diet and activity. And then they were measuring hormones along the way. And leptin, which which we talked about before from our fat, and ghrelin, which is the opposite hormone from our stomach, leptin tells your body you're full and ghrelin tells your body you're hungry. And as you lose weight, well, so you want leptin to be high and you want ghrelin to be low. And as you lose weight, they start to do the opposite. And I've made this little analogy that when you're at your upper weight, there's this little guy who sits on your shoulder and he doesn't say anything. But as you lose weight, he starts yelling in your ear and he says, eat, eat, eat. (laughs) And as you lose more weight, these hormones get stronger and his voice gets louder and louder. And he's now yelling at you, eat, eat, which is unfortunately why a lot of people gain their weight back. Using medicines is like putting earmuffs on. The signals are still coming, but you just can't hear them. And so someone says, well, I have to take this medicine forever. And not everybody needs to take them forever. But if it is working to keep these hormonal signals quiet, why not? We use blood pressure medicines potentially forever. We use diabetes medicines forever. Why don't we potentially get you off those and get you on a medicine that also helps your weight? And, and we'll talk about, you know, you like to use metabolic health. Let's keep your metabolic health healthy right. with one medicine instead of maybe three others. I love the analogy that you used, you know, keeping these earmuffs on. I mean, this is a phenomenal analogy and I think that makes so much more sense. And the other thing is, you know, you had mentioned that people ask this question about how long they need to take this medication. This brings home the same point that people need to start realizing that obesity is a disease and it is a chronic disease which needs chronic medications, just like hypertension, just like diabetes. If you're able to be on one medication and be able to you know, take off the other medications, that's probably better, at least in my opinion, to be off the other medications and be just on one single medication. Well, let's talk about your book. I think uh, you oh, yeah. highlight some of the important points that we mentioned here in your book as well, you know, Chasing Diets. So what really made you write this book? And, you know, what insights did you gain while writing this book? So I think that it's a great question. So the title, I think, is the first thing to talk about. It's called Chasing Diets for a very particular reason. On our intake form, which is about seven pages long that we get a a history before they even see me, we ask how many diets you've been on before, you know, and I can tell you the number, the answers are astounding sometimes. I have had people put the infinity sign. Meaning I've been on, or they put, I've been on all of them. I've been a hundred. I've been on 300. I've been on 50. I think the average person is somewhere between 10 and 25 diets. And so what happens is 
you alluded to this before that they asked their neighbor about the best diet. I think now they're going to either their Facebook friends or the internet and they're going to find what they think is the next best magical diet. And I hate to tell you this, which you know this, but you know, magical diets do not exist. There right. is nothing magic about diets. We really haven't proven any one particular diet to be head over heels above that for others. Now, there, in some circumstances, use diabetes or insulin resistance, you know, lower carbohydrate diets have been shown, especially in the short term, to work a little bit better. Meal replacements also with diabetes have been shown to work better in the short term. In the long term, we don't have that. And so chasing diets was a way to say to people, stop looking for the next one. Now you found, the, you found a physician who does medical weight loss who can change their diet based on what's going on in your life. And I think that's the first part. And so we sat down with about 40 questions that we wanted to answer in this book. My business partner and I, Dr. Robert Zilzer, who wrote this with me, we founded Scottsdale Weight Loss together 15 years ago in 2006. And we sat down with these 40 questions and wrote or talked through the answers to these 40 questions. And then we put it into a book format. So it's really not about how to diet. It's about why to diet in a comprehensive manner. Why do we use these four pieces that obesity medicine providers use as a tool to get your weight off? We go through the medicines. It's the book is actually two years old now. So there are some medicines that have been taken off the market, at least one of them. And there's at right. least one new amazing medicine called Wagovi on the market that was not yeah. available when we wrote the book. We do, I think we're going to aim for next year to update at least our medicine chapter. You know, this field is continually evolving. And I think before a year from now, we'll have yet at least one more medicine, if not more oh, yeah. than one on the market by then also, which potentially is even more potent than the ones that we have today. And so it just takes into account, and so many people have read it and say, oh my gosh, now I understand what you're trying to do. And that's really what we did. I think this is a book, it is written for the patient, but I think the medical provider, whether at the primary care level, the specialist who's not an obesity, or even the obesity medicine who's just getting started in this field, I think it's really a nice background. It's not written, you know, as someone who's been in this field for 15 years, this isn't what you and I would be talking about, you know, about a complex patient. This is just the basics of nutrition, activity and exercise, behavior or behavior modification and medications and why we put it all together. There's a lot of really nice patient stories in it. Some people that we've been taking care of for years who've lost, you know, 100 pounds, 150 pounds and so forth. I do statistics and every quarter I get a little thing and I had 18 or 19 patients just in the last quarter who've lost 25% or more weight loss. Wow. When we start medical weight loss and you're just in the primary care world, you're looking for 5 or 10%. That's great. It helps yeah. blood pressure. It helps blood sugar. If you have prediabetes, it may make that normal. If you have knee pain from your weight, it's getting a little better. By the time you're at 15, you're like, that's pretty good. You know, when you're at 20, you're like, you're now in the top one percenters. I had 19 active patients who are 25% or more. So I think what we're doing is working for patients. Well, I know it is because we actually, that's something to talk about in clinics. We don't do any upfront program. You don't have to pay for the clinic upfront. You pay it as you go in our clinic. And like any other doctor visit you would, if for some reason it wasn't working for you, you can stop coming in at any point. But it does work for people because if it wasn't, I would find the next tool to add in or I'd change the tools that people are doing. 
it is very, very seldom that we find someone who can't lose weight when given the right tools. The problem is finding the right tools. We don't have yet the one test that you can do that says whether it's a blood <laughs> test or a questionnaire and says, this is the diet you should be on and this is the medicine you should be on and so forth. I do think somewhere in the future, we will be better at that. And there are some people who are working on that at the, at the very basic levels right now, where they're trying to figure out putting people into four different categories of eating. And I do think there's a lot of promise there. I'm not sure that it's up to being able to roll out to all of our patients yet. No, that's right. And I think you raised another important uh, point that there are some certain medications that are in the pipeline and they're actually expected to be equivalent to surgeries, if not, uh, you know, slightly better with respect to the weight loss that they can achieve. So, you know, people do not really need to go under the knife if these medications are rolled out. And that's why it's so exciting. And, uh, you know, it's a very promising field. And I think at the same time, uh, obesity medicine becomes a very rewarding experience, both for the patient and for the, the provider, because you're able to actually take people off of a lot of medications, and you're actually able to help them get in a better place emotionally as well, as and also as, uh, physically, right? Yeah, I think it's important. You know, you've mentioned surgery twice. I haven't talked much about it. I do think surgery has its definite place in, it is the strongest currently most longest duration treatment that we have. But I do think with current, even today's medicines, as well as the ones that will probably be released in the next three or four months, we're narrowing the gap. That's correct. And if you're only looking at five or 10%, surgery is going to be your answer, you know, from a medical program. But if you're looking at 25%, you may be able to be very successful without. We ask all of our patients whose body mass index would qualify them for surgery. At the beginning, is that something that you are interested in? And in my personal clinic, and maybe it's just because of the people that we we get here in Arizona, that about a half of 1% want surgery and 99.5% do not want surgery or they don't want it today. And they say, if I'm unsuccessful, maybe it's something I will look at in, in the future. Right. And, and do you work with the surgeons, bariatric surgeons, Yeah. in, in case they need surgery and you need to yeah, refer them to them? We actually have a surgeon that if I look this way, is about three blocks at our local hospital. <laughs> and I just texted with him last week. He's my number one referral. He's very experienced. He has done a lot of research also in some of the other procedures that people can do. Also, one of the past presidents of the American Society of Bariatric Surgery was my other local surgeon a couple months ago. She just moved out of town, but she was my other great referral. So absolutely, it is a close referral network, I think, here in Arizona. But hopefully with everything that's happening and going to happen, less and less people will need it. But that being said, even with surgery, some people do need, call it a medical program, two and four years after their surgery. And has become a common requirement that bariatric surgery centers have a medical obesity medicine person in their clinic, or at least recommended that they have such, just because we get really good at, at the medicine and which medicines to use and, and how to use them. Right. So dear listener, you know, if you're looking for a medical weight loss program, just make sure you look for something that's very comprehensive. As we've discussed today, uh, you know, something that talks about uh, your behavioral changes, talks about nutrition, talks about medications, and talks about, you know, surgical uh, options if you need them. So a program that's going to be very comprehensive and dedicated to the care of obesity, to the management of obesity would be probably be the right choice in choosing uh, something that's going to work for long term. Short term, a lot of things work, but it's also about maintaining the weight loss. Dr. Primak, how can people find you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me today. People can find me through my practice website. The easiest way is scottsdaleweightloss.com. We are Scottsdale Weight Loss. We have four locations in Arizona around the Scottsdale area. 
I do make uh, a few little video blogs. It's something called drpremac.com. So D-O-C-T-O-R Premac. I guess that's P-R-I-M-A-C-K. And social media, of course, all the different channels that are popular. But Scottsdale Weight Loss. I'm going to put all the links into my website and onto the show notes so that people can find you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Primag, again for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.